If you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. We're going to see that after this passage, John does not write any more about the public ministry of Jesus. After this time, all of John's words, which is about half of his book, is going to be concentrated on his disciples. Jesus is pouring his life into 12 men. And the change of the world that comes by the gospel will be at the hands of these simple fishermen Um, uneducated um, and despised and Jesus is going to pull away Uh, Jesus has given uh, the Jewish nation um, many opportunities to uh, turn to him as Messiah he came and presented himself as Messiah um, and certainly the leaders absolutely knew that that was what the case was um, but they've rejected him and they've rejected him uh, publicly they've rejected him officially. And so we're going to see that as Jesus finishes this uh, dispute or this, this uh, discourse uh, based upon what was said at the end of chapter 9, if you remember, the, the uh, Pharisees said, are we blind? You said that you come for judgment, that people who can't see would see, and people who, who say they can see um, are going to be made blind. Um, you must be talking about us. And this is basically what he said. He, he showed his people as sheep and that the, just like sheep hear the voice of their shepherd and follow them, uh, these people are not following him and they're not of his. Um, and because of that, they're, um, they're making their own decision and they're going to have it followed all the way to its, to its result. So we're going to see some some beautiful theology, of course, in here. As Jesus is talking to people and telling them the truth, even as they're rejecting him, he is telling people who would be his sheep exactly what it means to have God as their God. So let's let's look at this. This is God's word from John chapter 10, verse 22. It was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said to him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep as I have told you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, Ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemous, because I said, I am the Son of God? 
If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of his hand. And he went away beyond Jordan to the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we appeal to you to uh, work today among our our minds and uh, among our congregation, that you would show us the beautiful things of our Savior, that you would, with power, teach us those things that uh, would frighten us and comfort us. We ask that uh, we would see the beauty of the unity of, of the triune God, that we would see in it the power offered to men uh, that would put faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I ask, too, that you would con- condemn uh, the, hardness, the hardness of our hearts in such a way that we would turn away from ourselves and turn to you. I pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have to see that Jesus for three years has gone around preaching and teaching and doing miracles, and he has unequivocally proven that he's the Messiah. In fact, he's proven that he's God himself. And these men, the Pharisees, knew what he had done, and they were not stupid people. They were PhDs that understood exactly what they were looking at. They simply refused to accept it. And they thought that they had enough power and enough sway given the situation. If this was the Messiah that they were expecting, where this was a military Rambo coming in on a horse and being swept everybody together, then they would have followed the crowd like anyone else. But they did not expect the Messiah to come as an itinerant rabbi, um, walking everywhere he went and not a place to live. And they understood that the people were following him, but they thought, saw him as a great threat. And you're going to see that with this being the final straw, the Jewish nation has totally rejected Jesus Christ as a Messiah, completely. Officially, they've rejected him. But this is exactly what the Old Testament said. It was prophesied in a hundred places that this would be what the Messiah would encounter when it came. So this is from Psalm 22. This is a messianic psalm that speaks so clearly of Jesus on the cross. And Jesus on the cross is crying out to God who is not there. The God who has rejected him and turned away from him. And the the Messiah is crying out to this God. And this is in verse 6. I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he's delighted in him. That not only was he rejected, he was mocked as he was rejected. That, and they rejected him for trusting God. The very ones that they say that that's what was true of them. This is Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
again and again and again, we see that the Messiah, who is, who is victorious, the king of the Jews, the one who is the son of David, who will forever sit gloriously on David's throne, who will conquer all nations, who will sit until all nations are made a footstool for his feet. This is the same Jesus that these men were looking at and calling him despisable. We all, not just the Pharisees, Isaiah said he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And then here's the we. We hid our face from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We gave him no value. We all looked into the face of Jesus and went, mm, yeah, not much. So when the, when the officials of, of the Jewish religion did that, um, they're nothing more than all of us. All of us did that. It took God giving an earthquake to raise the dead. It was, it was the earthquake that opened the graves. And it does that too. When there will be people that the earth will tremble underneath you and you will know that Jesus Christ is God, very God. You will know. There's other dead people around you that will never know. But for whatever reason, if your grave was opened and you are able to see Jesus as who he actually is, then you're looking at the man who you did not esteem, the man who doesn't even look like a man, beaten to the point of an unrecognizable as a man. And this is very God of very God. It takes God himself to teach you that. And so these men, with their, with their master's degrees and their power, were looking at him, had completely decided that they were going to reject him. You have to realize that by the time that we get up to chapter 10, 20 times the Jewish leaders have rejected Jesus. 20 times. Now, when, when Matthew writes his gospel, it's a little bit different. Matthew's gospel, basically, if you're going to make it like a piece of music, it crescendos up to about chapter 12, right about the middle of the book. And then from the middle of the book, the Jewish, the Jewish uh, religious leaders have totally made their decision. And then from then on, we see almost like a decrescendo. And John is the same, only what hap happens is he's flipped. He will have a public ministry of Jesus up to the end of chapter 10. And then we don't see that again. It just goes away. Basically, we put it in parentheses and said, okay, he's rejected. Now he goes to his disciples. All of the teaching now is going to be just to his disciples, teaching them deeply, deeply, deeply. And even his disciples, there are people that will not believe him, people that will reject him, people that will betray him, even among the 12 that Jesus puts his, put his heart into. So let's look further. This is back in chapter 10. We're in 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about and said, How long do you make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. So we have noticed this all the way through John. John will bring Jesus to, the, to Jerusalem for festivals. Every Jewish male is required to be there. And Jesus was born under the law so that he could redeem people under the law, it says in Galatians. So Jesus comes to the festival, the same as all Jewish men come to the festival. And all of these festivals that are required, there's three that are required, but there are other festivals that are not required in the law. This one is the Feast of De Dedication. We know it by Hanukkah. 
Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a commemoration during that time after the Old Testament. So Malachi has finished writing his, his book. The book of Matthew has not yet been written. The Gospels haven't been written. And there's 400 years where there is no prophet. And during that time, Peter the Great conquers the world. He conquers the whole world, all the known world at that time that you think of as the West. He conquers all the way through from Europe to India. In fact, there's a sad story where he climbs up the hill and he cries and cries and cries and his heart breaks because there isn't any more places to conquer. He's conquered it all, and he's 30 years old. Well, poor Alexander the Great was a man, and he died. And he leaves four generals behind, and he takes this enormous empire, humongous empire, and he splits it among his four generals. The one general's name is Antiochus Epiphanes, and it's Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, and uh, what a great name! And what happened is, of all of the all of the the horrible antichrists that's ever lived up to that point, he was the worst. In fact, he did he did so bad. This was during the 400 years before Christ, so we're talking 200 B.C. probably. Um, he comes in and he stops worship at the temple. He doesn't let them worship God. He, put, he uh, sacrifices a pig on the altar at the temple. Then he sets a, a, a statue of, Jew, of Zeus up in the Holy of Holies. And so you have a foreign god in the Holy of Holies and they change the altar. They, they desecrate the altar with a pig and then after the pig they make it a, a pagan altar. And he basically sets himself up, and you see it as such an antichrist. He sets himself up to be essentially the, the figure of worship. And he is really trying to completely annihilate the Jews. Well, before, during that time, the Maccabees, which is a, there was a priest and his sons, they lead a revolt, and they, they, they kick him out. They actually kick out this, this general out of the land, and what they do is they... They rededicate the temple. <clears throat> they completely clean out the temple. They, re, um, they go back to the Bible and find out how it was originally dedicated, with what offerings and what ceremonies, and they go through and they rededicate the temple. And it was during that time before they conquered him that the lights were eight lights of men, the menorah that, that, that you celebrate at Hanukkah. The Feast of Dedication was this rededication of the temple. That's what you're doing. And it's winter. Now, you really, really interesting that you see this. It is winter time, but John says that it's winter. John does this. He'll say, and it was night. He goes out, Judas goes out, and it was night. And you're like, wow, what, why would he call it it was night? There's, there's night that happens when Judas goes out and there's night. When you have here, they're celebrating the dedication, and it was winter. <clears throat> We're basically making commentary on the entire people here. They're rejecting themselves. You have, to, you have to see that the, the temple had been rededicated to God after false worship. It had been for, for a long time the place of false worship, apostate worship, and it was rededicated unto God's true service. <coughs> Jesus is speaking here. This is exactly what's happening. It was winter. And these people had a, had a religion 
that was acting really as a false religion. And Jesus is reestablishing it. Jesus is the true religion. You want to serve God, you serve God through Jesus Christ. It's not ceremonies about Jesus Christ that God is pleased with. You serve God through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ as your life. It's Jesus Christ as your offering. It's Jesus Christ as your faith that you present God with and you are and God is pleased with. That's what's happening here. It's a big picture happening here. <clears throat> so we see this, we see that the people knew he was claiming to be Messiah, but basically in your face demanding that he say it again. He, he has said it many times before, but they want him to hear, they want to hear him say it again. Why doesn't Jesus say Messiah? That's a very interesting question. He doesn't really call himself the Messiah. He uses Son of Man, which is a, which is a passage from Daniel, which is referring to the Messiah. Has he, he's even used the word Son of God, which is even more interesting because that's an expansion of the view of the Messiah that he's actually God himself. <clears throat> but he didn't throw this term around because he sees, the, he sees the office of Messiah different from these people. So it's almost like he doesn't use a term that he knows they're misunderstanding. They think of Messiah as a warrior who's going to come and politically uproot the, the nation that's opposing them and kick them out. That's what they think of as the Messiah. Jesus is saying, no, he knows how the Bible is truly written. And God's interpretation is that the office of king, the office of deliverer, and the offices of, of suffering servant is one. Jesus knows that all of this is together, that it's the suffering servant who, will, uh, who by his own death will make these people great and will kick out the Romans. There will be a time when he will be unopposed, that every enemy will be, will be cut by the sword coming from his mouth. All of the things that they think of is true, but they're missing so much of the picture that he basically um, doesn't throw around that term very freely. He just doesn't. He can't. So he's only really used it twice. He used it with a woman at the well in Samaria, which wasn't even a Jew. And he used the word son of God or son of man. It could be interpreted either way with the man born blind. And that's twice, only twice. All of his disciples who he's teaching all the time are really catching on that he's the Messiah. They have to scratch their head over and over again. And, and they ask themselves, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They're slowly, slowly coming in. It won't be until later that Jesus asks them, who do you say I am? Who do the people say I am? Well, who do you say I am? And it was Peter that said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, it was my father that actually taught you that. I didn't tell you I was the Messiah. God taught you that I was the Messiah. That's interesting. Don't, uh, what did Proverbs say? Don't black blow your own horn, let somebody else blow it. Jesus is basically living in front of them and letting other people, uh, letting God be the one that blows uh, his horn. So let's, let's go on. This is verse 25. Jesus is responding to them, okay? If you be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you believe not. I've told you. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. I've even, I've even proved it to you. I didn't just tell you. It wasn't just words. The kingdom of God is not about words. It's about power. God, God is big enough to convince you. The, what I did that only God could do, 
I, was, I did it so that God would show you who I am, that, that I'm presenting myself officially the same way you should be looking for me. You believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, that's, that's a terrifying thing. You're commanded to, to repent. You're commanded to turn, all you, all you kings of the earth, all you judges of the earth, kiss the son lest he, lest he be angry. You're commanded to repent. You're commanded to turn. But there, God does something. God makes your heart want him. There is some, there's some miracle that happens as it happens. You're totally responsible, and God is the one working. You do not believe me because you're not mine. If you were mine, my sheep hear my voice is what he's going to say in 27. But you're not. You don't believe me because you are not my sheep as I've already told you. So he had just said that in verse 10, that you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. You're not my sheep. See, he's already said, I've already told you. Now, we've gone through the book of John, and it's in the book of John that we see these, these discourses with the, with the Pharisees. This is where you look in the Bible if you want to see this, this, this back and forth. So John 5, this is 17, but Jesus answered them, My father works hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. He already said that he knew that. John 8, we just, we just went through and before Christmas. I said, therefore, to you, you shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Well, who's the he? This is already done. It's not a conversation that needs to happen. This is a conversation that's already finished. I am the Messiah, and if you refuse to believe me, you will die in your sins. It's, there, there reaches a point where it's as truly as simple as that. Now, with, as God works in people's heart, he doesn't just work by fear, but there is fear. There is fear that, that you must turn to me or you will perish because it's already done. You're condemned already. That there is a you will turn or, and it, it, there is a frightening element. The gospel is only sweet because of the bad news that we're condemned. That's why the gospel is good news, because it's a rescue to someone who recognizes that, that they've been condemned. But, it, but Jesus says, in this case, you will die in your sin if you believe that I'm not he. And then the zinger there in 58, this chapter 8, Jesus said, verily I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There's no, that's not unclear. That's not unclear to anybody. I'm God. I'm not just the Messiah that you're looking for. I'm God. I'm your maker. If I am the I am, then you should bow before me. And you can't glorify God, remember uh, chapter 5, without honoring the Son. You can't honor God without honoring the Son. He's already said it. I told you, but you believe not, because you are not my sheep. So uh, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So the argument is really rather clear here. It's not just that his own sheep hear his voice, and that he knows them and that they follow him, which is true. But the converse is also true. If you are not my sheep, you do not hear my voice and you don't follow me. That, that's frightening. That means that either I'm his sheep or I'm not. If I'm his sheep, then I hear his voice and I follow him. If I'm not a sheep, I don't hear his voice and I don't follow him. There really is a division of people here. There's a division of the entire population of mankind here in this verse. So... I have to pause. I have to pause. I have to pause for myself, and I have to pause for you. 
do you hear his voice and do you follow him? That you must stop there because just because there's some kind of traditions doesn't mean anything. It does not mean anything. Do I hear him? Do I hear his call? Does he alert me? Does he wake me up? Does he, does he make me know what he wants? Do I hear him so that I know where to go? It's, it's metaphysical, yes, but it's not spooky. God is our maker, and he can tell us who he is and tell us what to expect. Now, you're never going to hear God's word that will contradict anything in the Bible. In fact, that's how you hear God's word. You hear God speaking by reading. As you read, God will tell you what he wants from you. He will nig and nag at you, and, and he, will, he will make sure that you're uncomfortable to a point where you're, you'll finally have his, you have his attention. He has your attention. So do I hear him? Do I follow him? That is the marker. That's the evidence. This is Galatians chapter 4. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you my labor in vain. Here's a church that false teachers have come in and said, to be a really good Christian, you have to be a Jew first. And they already have trusted the Lord, and they're like, oh, I want to be a very good Christian. So I need to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Suddenly now, Sabbaths are important again, and new moon festivals are important again. All of these things are important again. Suddenly, this is more important than this, and this is more important than this. And Paul is scratching his head, and he goes, what? I taught you what the gospel is, and you're going back to the picture of the gospel? You're actually rejecting the gospel to go back to the picture of the gospel? I don't get it. If you, are, if you know God, are you saying that you know God, which is actually more that God knows you, then why are you going back to these weak and beggarly elements that you were in bondage for before? That's, that's it. This is 2 Timothy 2. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, the Lord knows them that are his. If you are known of God, then the God knows who you are. God knows his people. God knows his sheep. I know my sheep. That's what he just said. I know my sheep. They hear my voice and they follow me. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and earth, the same to honor, the same to dishonor. If a man shall therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. This is the beauty of the Bible. God is the power that's making things happen, and you're responsible to do it. He is saying, look, nevertheless, the foundation of, the, of God stand sure. Having the seal, the Lord knows them that are his. So here is me being alerted by God's word to say, God knows who is his. Now, if I stop, that means God knows if I belong to him. God knows if I don't. That's what, now, I stop and I say, what does that mean? That means either I belong to him or I don't belong to him. Do I want to belong to him? Then he, may, he has a picture of a, of a house, of a great house. In this great house, there are all kinds of vessels. There's gold and silver cups. There's wood and earth cups. There's plastic cups. There's cups that you don't mind the little kids digging around in the garden in. And if you forget it in the garden, you, you're not going to cry too hard. But you're not going to take grandma's china and give it to the, the five-year-old to play in the garden with. There are vessels of honor and there's vessels of 
dishonor. Now, where I see this is a person who is Jesus' sheep is a vessel of honor that God will use. And we saw in Sunday school, even after your death, even when you're dead, that vessel of honor still is being effective even after you're in the grave. But this is so beautiful to me. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. You cannot save yourself. But I promise you, if you're alerted to the gospel and you want it and you step for it, God will give it to you. You don't save yourself. But God said, do you want it? Do you want to be a vessel of plastic? Do you want to be a vessel of gold? Not that I can determine what I'm going to be, but he said, choose. And if you choose, if you want it, what you're doing is you're hearing his voice and following him. That's what it is. Now, it is, I guess, confusing because he's using all these pictures. He's, he's talking about sheep, hearing my voice. You don't listen to me because you're not mine. But you could be mine. That's the, that's the beautiful thing. Do you want to be? Do you want it? You may have it. I came that you may have it. If you say you're blind, if you can say you're see, then, then I will make you blind. But if you say that you're blind, if you can say, I want to be a vessel of honor, but I'm not, then God will give it to you. That is beautiful. Anyone, whosoever, whosoever wants to come, Jesus will accept you. Whosoever. It does not matter. But Jesus will be the judge. This is Acts 17. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world under righteousness by the man who is ordained, wherever he's given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. Jesus will be the judge. Jesus will look at you and say, are you a vessel of honor in the Father or not? Are you his sheep? The, ma- the, the shepherd knows his sheep. The Lord knows his own. Jesus will say, are you mine? Are you not mine? If you're mine, then all your sins are gone because I died on the cross. If you're mine, all of my, all of my perfection is given to you as a present. And you're, you have shining glory in front of God that you will be one of the glorious ones, shining face glorious ones, because it's my glory I give you. If you do not belong to me, if you do not want to be a vessel of honor, if you don't care and you're rejecting me on purpose because you think you have some power over me at this moment, then I've already made the decision. You're already condemned. That's what John 3 says. The Son didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is already condemned. There will be a judgment when Jesus judges. It's not to say, are you my sheep or not? He will separate the sheep from the goats. It is that there's already a condemnation if I have not taken God's only hope for me because I'm already in myself condemned. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. This is John 10 again, verse 28. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I give eternal life. Eternal life. That's that's full life. Remember, the thief came to, to steal and destroy, but I gave that they would have full, abundant life. That is what eternal life is. So if you were to stop then and look at all the pictures that he's shown over the chapters, I'm the water, I'm the bread, I'm the light. 
It's eternal life. He's pic- that's the picture of eternal life. All of these are pictures of what eternal life is. You hearing his voice and following him is eternal life. You being thirsty and going to the water is eternal life. You being blind and looking with your blindness towards the light Jesus would give you is eternal life. This eternal life is not just for heaven. This eternal life immediately starts now. It's now. And it says here, and they will never perish. Never perish. What a, what a word. What a word. Never perish. That you might not perish but have everlasting life. Colossians 3 said, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You'll never perish. If you are in God, if you're hidden in Christ, inside God, there is no way to perish. God shuts the door of the ark. It's shut. You couldn't get out if you wanted to. I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound. I'm bound for the promised land. You can't get out. If you've trusted Christ, Christ will take you all the way to salvation. That is remarkable. Who will come and go with me? You have a decision to make. It's both together. Do you see that's both together? God is working and you have a decision to make. It starts now. Numbers 23 said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He hath said, hath he said and shall not do it. Has he spoken and shall not make good? He said, you shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck him out of my hand. You shall never perish. Let that sink in, saints. Let that sink in. You're safe in him. You're saved in him. Past tense, saved. It is done. Jesus died. All of your offense is gone. You're hidden in him, inside God. No man will pluck you out of his hand, including yourself. You're saved. Because that love that comes as I know I am not a vessel of honor, but I choose to be because he's offered it to me through Christ. I want it. And I want it tomorrow, and I want it tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Because God is the one that made it happen. He will save you forever. You will not perish. You see that the security of the believer is not just wrapped up in your decisions. The security of the believer is wrapped up in the unity between the Father and the Son. That's what it said. No man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He used that sentence to support the other sentence. Why will no one pluck them out of my Father's hand? Because I and my Father are one in this. There is no difference. Now, that's such a confusing thing to the entire world. Try to explain the Trinity to yourself, let alone to anybody. The Trinity is not that Jesus is God. Jesus didn't pray to himself. That there are, that he's distinct, but one God. They're unified in every aspect. There's no, there's no argument. There's no decision. There's no compromise. The, the Godhead doesn't compromise to make decisions. They're perfectly the same in every way. In essence, they're the same. But they're distinct. The, the word was with God and the word was God. He's with God and he is God. There, he's distinct from God and he is God at the same time. It is Jesus who raised himself from the dead and God who raised himself. God raised Jesus from the dead. They're both the true. It's not a split personality. It's not a schizophrenic view that I have to see that two things are actually the same thing at once. I and my father of one are is an action. They're together on this. 
that there isn't any difference. You are, the Holy Spirit is not going to do anything God did not approve of. And Jesus did not do anything that God didn't command. And God did not ask anything that Jesus didn't do and that the Holy Spirit won't make happen. God's plan will happen because God is God. That's what he says. This is 31. He just said, I'm God. Jews took up stones again to kill him. And Jesus answered, many good works have I showed you for my father. Which of you, which of these do you stone me for? Jews answered, for a good work we don't stone me, for, but for blasphemy, because thou being a man makes thyself God. Well, that's the very thing Jesus didn't do. Jesus as a man did not make himself God. Jesus as God made himself man. That's different. He did not promote himself. He didn't take something that wasn't his. By the way, this is the fourth time they try to kill him. The fourth time, the fourth time that they try to kill him. Jesus' miracles manifested as deity, so he's not, completed, he's not committing a, a blasphemy. He is God. So he did not promote himself as God, but rather as God humbled himself as a man, even unto death. This is John 10:34. Jesus answered him, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. But if he called him gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent in the world, thou blasphemous, because I said I'm the son of God. If I do the works of my Father, believe me not. If I do, though you believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father's in me and that I in him. I've often read that and thought, that's not a really good argument for Jesus being God. That's not a very good argument. In the Old Testament, God referred to people as you are gods. It's one place. It's in the Psalms. So this is Psalm 82. By the way, in Psalm 82, when he says you are gods, it, there's a snarkiness to, to what God's saying here because he's talking to the whole context of this is that you are judges, you're Israel's judges, and you're not judging correctly. You're Israel's judges, and you're not, you're wicked judges. You're unjust judges. And the, the, command, the, the command that's in there basically saying, and I'm going to judge you, judges, this is 82 verse 6, I have said, you are God's. And all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Do you understand that God is smacking them? It's not a your gods. Okay, this is, you know, this is not a Mormons that you are gods and you're going to get your own planet. Oh, my goodness. What, how sad. How sad is that? Okay, you're not going to get your own planet. I'm sorry, you're not a god and you're not going to get your own planet. You're a god like Jesus is a god. No, you're not. But what, what God said is you're gods, and it's almost like air quotes, and I'm going to judge you. And Jesus uses this and said, it says in the Bible, you're gods, and God is referring to people who are not gods as gods. Why are you saying, why are you so uptight about me saying I'm son of God? That's not the argument that has a punch in it. That's not the one that he's punching. The punch is in the other part. Let, let's look back where it says, Jesus answered, is it not written in your law, saying, I am God's? If he called them God's to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say of him whom the Father has sanctified. Look at this. The Father has sanctified and sent into the world. You blaspheme because you say I'm the Son of God? The punch is not that men can't be called the Son of God because there is an occasion in the Bible, and he said the Bible can't be broken, so why are you so uptight? What he really is saying is the Father sanctified me. Set me apart. 
and you are calling me a blasphemer. I am God. And you're saying what he's really saying is I'm God and you should, I'm not blaspheming. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. So it cannot be what God can't do. If, if I can't do what God can't do, don't believe me. That's his real argument. But if I can do what only God can do, then you're, you must believe me. And this is the end. This is verse 39. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand, and he went away beyond the Jordan into a place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Do you see the contrast? You've got people who are taking what God did on purpose. It was the signs, it was the miracles that made them believe that he was who he said he was. But the, belief, but the, the people in charge, that's the end you'll see of him. You know, he'll speak to Pharisees again, but he's not going to have these big speeches again. This is, this is the last one that you see. All the rest of he's going to go to his disciples. So, do you look and see what the disciples saw? That's different from what the Pharisees saw. Then as we look into these new chapters, it's now for you. It's not for the decider, the one that's on the fence. Okay? Elijah said, you're in two minds. If God is God, serve him. If God's not God, if Baal's God, serve him. There must be, there has to be a decision made. But once the decision is made, then God will take you into his school. So when we see, starting from now on, we'll go into the to Lazarus and all the way through, you're in Jesus' school because you've made your decision that he is who he says he is and that you have turned to him as these people at the Jordan again has, has turned to him. So we'll pick up the story next time. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your immense mercy to us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that... that um, you are helping us uh, with our unbelief that even though we may have, uh, we believe, we need your help to believe. And we thank you that uh, you are the one that's, that is kind to us. And your greatest kindness is that you're convincing us that Jesus Christ is our hope. Uh, we that have turned to him, I pray that you will work in our lives greatly, uh, that we might learn from him, that we might, that we might be nourished and we might grow. And I thank you. I, I do ask for those who have been on the fence for so many years of their life um, resisting you, uh, that there would still be mercy for them, that they would not have sealed their fate. We pray that uh, while there is life, there's hope. And I ask for your, for your intervention in their life. And for every saint of God that has trusted you, I ask for a sweetness of comfort, that you would comfort us in your knowledge of our salvation, that we will never perish and that no one will ever pull us out and that we are sealed and bound. Uh, we thank you that you have been so kind to us that you would take us to glory, uh, not on our own, but for what you've done. And we love you and we want to exalt you together in Jesus' name. Amen.